Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Joining us is a man you're going to be hearing a lot more of on this channel, on Channel 126. Let me welcome political pundit and uh, overall swell guy who loves guns. He loves guns and his, and his mama. Let me welcome Mr. Sher Michael Singleton. Hey, Karen. Thanks for having me on the show. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, Good to see you as well. Thank you. So you are, you know, for the, the amount of time that I've known you, you've been a, a conservative-leaning political pundit, you know, like people mm-hmm. call you in to take the Republican side. I know during the Trump administration, you got fired because you was, you were working with them with Ben Carson because you mm-hmm. challenged something that you thought was immoral or wrong. Um, as Sonny Hostin mm-hmm. said, our policies are corrupt. That we They should be called out. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. But you lost your job uh, around accountability. Um, and so where are you now politically? I mean, I'm still a conservative. I mean, I don't think a person's uh, value system changes much unless something drastically occurs um, is the only way at least most political theorists would argue a person's ideology, meaning their values and belief systems were to change. I haven't had such a moment. So for the most part, I would still say textbook, I'm still a conservative, but as far as like party affiliation, I'm sort of in this gray space right now. Uh, You know, I consider myself an independent living in Virginia. We don't register by parties anyway, so that doesn't really matter at all. You vote either way, you you go in the state of Virginia. But if I were to live in a state where I had to register one party or another, I would just probably register as an independent and I would just judge things on a case-by-case basis as it pertains to them lining up with my conservative values. You have a governor's race going on in Virginia right now. Um, we do. And uh, Terry McAuliffe, who uh, was responsible for a lot of the criminal justice reform, uh, is running against, I think it's Glenn Youngkin, who mm-hmm. uh, is distancing himself really quickly, giving the stiff arm to Trump and Trump's policy, trying not to, I don't want to be a part of that, but he's not quite denouncing him. Uh, he's early voting. He's doing all of the right things to bring the Republican people back in. It's not, it's not so Mm -hmm. scary. Uh, what are his chances and where do you sit? I mean, I think McAuliffe probably has a slight advantage because he's been the governor before Virginia is certainly a purple state. You know, this. you've discussed this on your show. I think when McAuliffe ran the last time, if I remember correctly. So I think considering that advantage, I think if Youngkin can strike the right balance, particularly as it pertains to independent voters, I think he has a fighting chance. Personally, I like him. I like that he's sort of distancing himself a little bit. I just tweeted something a couple of days ago talking about the future of the Republican Party, ideologically speaking, how we really don't have sort of that intellectual subset of conservatism anymore. And I sort of argued that I think you're, you're seeing this fight between a quote unquote establishment wing of the party and the more Trump elements of the party. And you see that, in fact, with Trump now going after uh, Mitch McConnell, trying to find someone to challenge Mitch McConnell. You also see that with former President George W. Bush hosting a huge fundraiser uh, for Congresswoman Liz Cheney uh, in Texas. Again, she has been ostracized by the, the Trump world, if you will, because of her position as it pertains to the former president. So you're seeing this ongoing battle right now. I'm of the position that I think ultimately the establishment wing will prevail in part because of the donor class. We'll see. Uh, but I would like to see where Youngkin goes. I like some of his economic policies. There are some other things that I think he needs to improve on. But economically speaking, I think he's far better of an option uh, than Terry McAuliffe. I was going to ask you about the, the structure. Great, great to meet you. Um, 
I was going to ask about the structure of kind of partisanship in this moment. So um, mm -hmm. because of the nature of primaries, right? So political parties as private institutions um, needing to register in order to vote in a primary, uh, folks like you, if you're not in a place like Virginia, uh, get locked out. Power consolidates at the edge of the party and has the capacity to take the party in the direction that it has gone uh, with a Trump. Um, I hear what you're saying. Uh oh. Uh oh. Did, did, did oh yeah, he we... got he got stuck. He got stuck. Uh, your your internet shaky right now in them hills with Alex Haley and them. The ghost of Alex Haley <laughs> wants you to answer ask this question. <laughs> he might. All right, Starsky stuck. Um, but um, yeah, where, where is the? Where, you know, I don't know what where he was going with that, but he was framing it nicely. Do you? Can you pick up where he was uh, dropping off? Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think you think about partisanship and you think about the way uh, the political structures currently exist in the country as far as how both political parties are able to, pretty, for the most part, maximize power is a part of the problem. I mean, I think when you look at this from a bigger picture, you, you think about gerrymandering, and, and that's really not just a partisan thing. You sort of see versions of it on, on both sides, if you will, because both sides want to be able to have their particular groups that they know, no matter what, they can always win. Um, and so I think when you think about the gridlock that exists in certain states where if you're not officially affiliated with one party or the other in the primary process, you're locked out of voting. I think that's crazy. I think that's ludicrous. I think that's in part why we have partisanship and tribalism at the heights that we do. I think that most people would probably find themselves in, in the middle, Reverend Dr. Wilson, to answer your question, maybe swaying some way economically, conservatively, maybe swaying some way progressively on certain social things as our standards and norms sort of develop as we, we progress and we become more open. And so I think most people are in that, that middle spot for the most part, but I think a lot of people recognize also that they have to register one way or be affiliated with one party or the other in order to really maximize their vote or their voter participation in the process and for that participation to actually be counted. I do not like that. I like the way Virginia has it. I would like to see all over the country, you, no party affiliation. Everybody's an independent. Mm -hmm. You vote purely based upon your value subset. I wouldn't even like to see gerrymandering. I would like to see that completely gone. Republican, Democrat, you got to run in a 50-50 district, 50% Republican, 50% Democrat. Mm -hmm. I like and that. if you are the best candidate, if your values and your plans that you push forth are the best, regardless of where you align yourself ideologically, then you should win. I think that's how you could potentially maximize a voter participation, but also decrease and see a decline of tribalism and partisanship. Sir Michael, you know damn well, 50-50 would mean Republicans would have no power, period, T. None in this country, in none of the states, except for maybe North and South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, and, you know, those places. But, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that just wouldn't work. In, in fact, New York is looking to gerrymander in the opposite to do what the Republicans have done to maintain power New York is looking at gerrymandering to to yeah. it, it is the way the game is played. And I'm like, well, if they're going to play the game, then let's play it to the point where maybe folks have to call a truce. Let's stop doing this. Yeah, I mean, Karen, you're right. But I again, to, to my point, I don't want to see any parties. I, I would literally want to see a process that's based purely off of ideology, because now we're talking about what do you value? Now we're talking what about what would that take, though? What would that take? You know, that sounds great. But we're we're an action mm -hmm. show. How could that? Yeah, of we, course. We we can't even get the filibuster removed. Like, 
It's like, what would that well, take? I mean, so, so to do something like that, like they did in Virginia, and there's a couple of the states that have something similar where you don't register by party, it would take a statewide legislation to be passed by both branches, ultimately signed by the governor. That's the only way something like this could come into fruition. To the point you made, you got gridlocks all over the place. So my highest ideals, you know, this utopic society, I guess, that I would love to see, that I think a lot of people would actually like to see, because I think more people would benefit politically. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for that type of society. All right, Dr. Starr. We don't just give up on something just because it seems too difficult of a task or too difficult of a mountain to climb. I mean, if that was the case, we wouldn't have had civil rights. We wouldn't have had a whole lot of major things. Um, If people just said, this is too difficult, we can't do it. No, we certainly can do it, and we should work to get to the point to being able to accomplish it. Now I'm with you, and I, I appreciate the dreaming about you know what's the ideal because I don't think we get uh, to a better place unless we can think about what's the ideal place. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you thinking on that. I wanted to ask you no, about uh, early, a little earlier today. You tweeted about this U.S. official who um, who resigned uh, his post as a Daniel diplomat. Foot. Yes, uh, the mm-hmm. situation in Haiti. Um, that's a choice. Um, you know, I think when people tweet, uh, when people share stuff, they're making a point. What point were you making in sharing that? Um, what do you make of the situation at the border? Yeah, I think the situation is a disaster. I mean, Karen started this block of the show with that recording of Sonny Hostin, who talked about her husband being from Haiti. She talked about the plethora of times she's been over there, and Haiti is a beautiful place. I have people married into my family who are Haitian. Uh, beautiful, beautiful place. I'm from New Orleans. There's a lot of connectedness there, particularly with Creole and, and other cultural things. Um, and, and so I think the place is beautiful. I admire the people there for their rich culture and, and what they have given to the United States, which a lot of people don't even know about. But but with that, as far as resources are concerned and even militarily, but that's another conversation. I shared that tweet because what it suggests and showcased to me was that some of the concerns that some reporters like April Ryan, mostly black reporters, not a lot in the mainstream media, have asked and tweeted about and talked about is the reality that the administration doesn't appear to have a cohesive strategy on how to properly deal with the migrants, what, around 14,000 of them that are trying to come to the United States after a major earthquake, after having the assassination of their president. Yet we can have hundreds of thousands of individuals from Afghanistan come into the United States. Uh, We can have immigrants from other countries south of the border that we have had compassion for under the Biden administration, at least, that the administration have seemingly, from my perspective, have more care and concern for than the Haitians. But what I was saying to answer the Reverend Doctor's um, question about why I tweeted that, I thought in some ways it sort of signaled, at least to me, uh, a resignation out of protest. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? Look at how you're, you're mistreating these people. I mean, there were some stories coming out. The administration changed it at the last minute last night in Forbes, NPR, and other news outlets that they were even considering sending them to Guantanamo Bay. And they only changed it because people were, you know, started coming out saying, what are you guys thinking? Like, what's what's going on over at the White House? And so, again, to the point that I was making, you look at how we treated the Afghanis under the Biden administration. I'm not talking about Trump here. You look at how folks from other countries south of the border, border have been treated. Uh, you look at, again, uh, Title 42 that Sonny uh, cited, which was a Trump-era title. The Biden administration, they're using that against the Haitians. So I, I have to ask the question, why are other people, other groups of people being treated differently than the Haitians? Or why are the Haitians being treated differently from other groups? Now, I, I found this interview from, I think, 1994. Someone put this out on social media, Biden talking about Bosnia. And then for, I don't know where he brought up Haiti. And his 
thoughts on Haiti, you, you know, were very revealing, Karen. He was pretty much saying, you know, if Haiti sunk to the bottom of the ocean and rose 300 feet, it wouldn't have any influence whatsoever on U.S. policy. Now, granted, this is in 1994. And I just have to beg the question if the president's position on Haiti remains the same today. And based on the treatment of the 14,000 Haitians at the border, I, I would assume the well, answer is yes. Well, Ambassador Daniel Foote, uh, who had been serving as special envoy for Haiti since July 22nd, uh, handed in his resignation. And he said, I will not be associated with the United States inhumane counterproductive decision to deport thousands of Haitian refugees and illegal immigrants to Haiti, a country where American officials are confined to secure compounds because of the danger posed by armed gangs and control of their daily life. Our policy approach to Haiti remains deeply flawed and my recommendations have been ignored and dismissed when not edited to project a narrative different from my own. He was like, I'm done. I'm done for, you know, Mm -hmm. this is, this is, uh, this is stunning, actually. Um, and, you know, but as you're talking, I'm struggling a little bit just because, you know, I, I was very, very strong this this week uh, against what the Biden administration has done in this area. But it's also to me a microcosm of kind of the pat on the head, you know, like remember he said, you, you're not bla- you're not black if you don't vote for me. You know, there's there's this yeah, kind of built in there's this built in, you know, um, sense of entitlement that you, you know, we're supposed to support you no matter what, because I'm better than that last jackass. And you might be better as a human being. Maybe this is telling. Mm-hmm. So as a conservative, you might have an agenda though. So you, did you vote for Trump in the last election? I'm, I'm going to ask you these questions. Cause I just, I think we should. And then there are people that have questions too. I, I voted for who I thought was the best person in 2020. That, 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 I'm just going to give a political answer on that. Karen. Why? I'm usually a very straight-laced guy, but oh I am not. Gonna, I'm just going to leave it at All right, that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you get away with that. I'm going to let the people people <laughs> handle you because he's going to be on 126, y'all, because we're not monolithic. Uh, and I think it's important that we have all kinds of views and people that challenge us. But you come. So somebody on Twitter wanted to know, uh, Mo Rye, Mike Short, 76, at Mike uh mike short 76 wants to know uh what exactly do you consider extreme to change your self-proclaimed status as a conservative sure michael do you need to see something worse than four years of trump and his administration now i'm not even sure because you just said you voted for the best person i don't know what that means yeah i mean i I saw that question on twitter and i I don't think that um is a something that's regulated to just being a conservative i think that's across the political spectrum whether you're conservative or liberal I think that if you see the ideology or the presets of the ideology, I should say, going too far to the left or too far to the right, then your identification with a party affiliation and the party is supposed to be the representative body of the ideology has to change. So in my case, seeing the ideology being represented in the most extreme forms, intellectually speaking, I said, hey, this entity that should represent the highest ideals of the ideology don't work for me anymore. Therefore, I'm going to be non-affiliated. So, so that's what I mean to provide some clarity uh, to that person's question on Twitter. So if there's a Republican like, uh, you know, Michael Steele type, you know, somebody that has a brain in his head and uh, doesn't hate people, uh, you mm-hmm. would you would go back and you would vote. But you'd rather not even have to be affiliated. You'd rather vote for whomever you want to vote for. R R D be damned. Is that is that what I'm hearing? I just like to have the freedom, Karen. I'm not going to be honest. Okay. I mean, 
I think partisanship again. I've seen a, a lot of it. I've I've ha had my hands in, in in play, if you will, on that mm. side of things politically. Right? I was very very partisan. I only worked for Republicans, and I've just sort of seen as I continue to get older, as I've spent more time in politics, particularly focusing on like policy stuff and how do you actually improve things for people. I just don't think partisanship in general is beneficial to anybody. I'm not just talking about this as a conservative. I'm just saying in general, I don't think people benefit when everything is only one-sided, my way or the highway. I don't think that's realistic because all of, of my ideas as a conservative aren't necessarily going to be the best ideas for every occasion all the time. I'm intellectually confident enough in myself to be able to acknowledge and admit that. My hope would be that people who are perhaps liberal uh, in their ideological presets would agree. Therefore, I recognize the intellectual beauty of having two. And, and in order to successfully have two, you can't, only, you can't be so dogmatic that I'm only this one thing. I'm only yeah. willing to entertain arguments and debates that I am comfortable with or that I naturally agree with or that I have some natural affinity yeah. towards. That's not realistic. I just don't think it's realistic for where most people are. So for me, I said, you know what? I've done this enough. It was fun while it lasted. I want to step back. I want to take a different approach to politics, an approach that I actually believe, based on my experience, could lead to better results for all people, not just people who agree with me or who are affiliated with me. Yeah, so I want to jump back into that life, that life experience thing, because uh, I went to school in New Orleans, uh, repping the Saints mm -hmm. today, went, went to school in New Orleans. I know some of your um, folks from Morehouse know the intellectual place of kind of cultivation of character and everything else that happens at Morehouse. Um, mm -hmm. You talked about a life-changing changing event, perhaps changing your ideology. What, what have been the life events that have most shaped your current ideology? Coming out of New Orleans, come out of HBCU like Morehouse, what have been the things that have shaped your perspective most? Where you find yourself as a young person on a conservative, mm -hmm. with a conservative ideology, um, which a lot of people wouldn't necessarily find, right? Mm -hmm. no, that's, a, that, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, it wasn't necessarily the last, what, four years of the former president that changed things for me necessarily. It was once I was back home in New Orleans. My grandmother was an educator for like 40 plus years. And I was hanging out with her and my grandfather. And we were just talking in general, just about some of the issues in New Orleans. And as I started to think about what my grandparents were saying to me, and I just started to think about some of the things that people were experiencing there, the Black people, and my grandmother was sharing some stuff with me. And then my grandfather shared a story uh, about a guy he had hired because he owns a lot of properties there. And he was talking to him about politics. And the guy just said, you know, Mr. Simon, I don't understand why we should be involved in the process at all. They don't care about us. And, and by they, he meant Republican, Democrat, whomever the hell they are. They just don't care. And as I'm listening to them, Reverend Dr. Wilson, it just sort of dawned on me, you know, maybe the way we've been doing politics is just not the best way. But like when you look at the results, you look at all the money we've spent over all of these decades. If this was a business, Dr. Wilson, people would say this business should be shut down because we have not been very effective at all with yeah. spending money. We haven't been effective with the decisions we've made. And so it just made me realize, you know, I just think I want to do things differently. And, and I hope in the process of doing things differently, I can connect myself who sort of have that same sort of mindset. People who may be Democratic affiliated or Republican affiliated, but, but looking at the, the entire system and saying, you know, we maybe need to tweak some things here. Like, like maybe the way that we have allowed this engine to run isn't the most efficient. 
And so that's sort of where I find myself. And that was sort of the catalyst for, for, for me saying, you know, the partisanship, it was good, but yeah, I don't think this is the best way anymore. There has to be some better ways to actually get results that people can actually see, that they can touch, that they can feel in their everyday lives. And so I said, you know, I don't think I want to do things in a way that clearly it hasn't been working. Uh, and so that that was sort of the beginning, if you will, of me saying, you know, I just want to do things in a different kind of way on my own terms. Yeah. And we may find ourselves in different ideological positions, but I, I don't argue with anybody who's, uh, whose posture or shape on the world starts with uh, a conversation with Big Mama or, or Papa. So uh, I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Hey, they well, know all things, man. They're the wisest people I know. And more of us need to lean on that and more of us need to uh, develop into being the Big Mamas and the Papas that we need to rely on. I think there's a, a, a paucity of wisdom, unfortunately. Uh, so listen, if, um, not if, Shermichael Singleton will be joining us on Urban View uh, every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And if you love guns and you love Big Mama <laughs> and you love talking politics, tell them what they're going to get, Shermichael Singleton, and when, what time? One o'clock on Sundays every week. And we are, Karen, going to talk about a lot of different things from race to culture to politics. Because I don't just like politics. I play the piano. I like art. I love it all. And so I wanted to sort of, and first of all, let me say this. Thank you, Karen, for one, believing in me and giving me this opportunity. I think people need to know this. Um, Karen and I talked about me having a show a long time ago. And Karen said, hey, you know, I think you got some talents, but but let's let's let you develop those talents more. And then we'll come back. And I, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't very happy about it. But this is where it comes into respecting people who are wiser, right? And I said, well, you know, maybe there's something here that I'm not missing. So let me just work on what she said I need to work on. And here we are two years later. I hope I've improved on those things because here's the opportunity. And so on the show, I want to talk about all sorts of things that impact black people. Yes, I'm a conservative. Yes, I have my positions. But more than anything else, I'm interested in how do we move the conversation forward in a plethora of things from race, from the politics, from social justice, from culture and all the things that we as a community and even other communities bring to this place we call the United States of America. And so it's going to be fun. Sometimes it's going to be serious. Sometimes you're going to cry. Sometimes you're going to be angry. But again, my hope is that people gain something out of the conversation, because if you're not gaining anything, then in my perspective, as my grandfather would say, then you're wasting your time. So hit him up on his social media. It's Shermichael underscore on Twitter. And he also has a YouTube channel where he's out there. This is what, to me, I want to see more of. Uh, Guns Out TV, where he is out there in them streets shooting things. Uh, well, he and his, which is off the chain. And I think you just, you're, you're very young, uh, which is important, you know. But I think it's, it's good that you're, you're like, I think you just turned 30. And you're out here with all of this, the experiences that you've already had. And you're still growing in your experience as well. And I think, you know, this is a space where you can be the things, all of the things, because this is uh, a diverse family here on 126. And I'm really proud uh, that you are joining us. This is going to be amazing. And uh, congratulations, Sir Michael. I look forward to Sunday. Thank you, Karen. I'm excited about this. Yeah. I'm really, really excited about this. I mean, I, I just cannot tell you how excited I am for people to hear the show. And I hope I don't let people down. I hope I don't let you down. And I think the smartest person knows and can acknowledge when they don't know something right. And so to be able to be on this platform with you, to learn from you, and to sort of be under your tutelage, I guess, in some ways is an honor. And I just can't wait to see what my trajectory is going to be like once this thing really gets up and moving. 
all right, well, I'm I'm here. You know, this is what I was put on this earth to do, so I'm, I'm walking to my purpose. So what are we going to hear this Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern? Yeah, so this Sunday I have a really, really fascinating conversation uh, with three different people. Uh, a Minnesota reporter by the name of Georgia Ford, April Ryan, who we all know, and another good friend of mine by the name of John Murray, who's sort of a pop culture expert. And we talked about the role of Black people in the news media, how we represent it. And though the news media has sort of been on this hiring uh, I guess not freeze, but this hiring bench of hiring more people of color, does that mean our actual stories are being truly represented and told in the right way? I don't think they are. And some of our guests had some really, really fascinating takes based on their experiences about the role of Black people in the Black story in the news media. And also, Karen, how that imagery impacts how we see ourselves. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.